Welcome to the 10th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. We are your hosts, Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're discussing configuration management. So guys, what do you get? What do you like for configuration management and how do you, what have you used in the past? Okay, Jared, you start off. Yeah. So I've used a couple, I've used Puppet and I, I actually love Puppet. Um, I've also used Ansible and uh, I like Ansible as well. Although for me, Ansible is almost a hybrid and, and I almost view Ansible more as a uh, orchestration tool than configuration management. I mean, it can do some configuration management, but I just, uh, I feel Puppet is better served in that role. I, I've looked at Chef and I've, I've played around with it, but I, I wouldn't be able to say I've given Chef a fair shake. But I personally believe that Puppet is, is better than Chef in, in a lot of ways. And, and the biggest has to be the DSL, in my opinion. And I, I know a lot of people don't like the DSL, but I think it really helps people who are uh, maybe newcomers to this and who... If they if they took a look at a chef recipe, for instance, and someone to drop down to a Ruby shell, they're going to maybe do some things in Ruby that an, a, a lesser advanced person may not understand or know, and it will really lead them on a wild goose chase. Whereas if they're using Puppet, there's a lot less chance for them to do that kind of thing. And uh, also for Puppet, Puppet versus Ansible, in my opinion, uh, the problem with Ansible is the global namespace. Uh, if you have multiple roles in Ansible and you have a uh, variable called port and several, uh, there's a chance for a collision there. And uh, I'm unhappy that they have refused to fix that yet. Um, so I, uh, I believe Puppet's probably the best one. Although for me, unfortunately, it's since it's dependent on Ruby, you got to have a decent Ruby system. Ruby, although now with the later versions of Puppet, they've started to do the whole omnibus thing where they're packaging Puppet. I mean uh, Ruby and and everything with it. Um, so yeah, so I'm a, I'm firmly in the puppet camp. Jack? I have to admit, I'm in the, the puppet Ansible camp as well. Um, to me, they're really two completely uh, different and separate tools, but they work together uh, and, and work together really well. Puppet's great for enforcement and making sure that things are what they're supposed to be and that you have a consistent platform deployed. Uh, Ansible is great for being able to roll forward changes, orchestration, um, tasks that involve uh, actions on many different machines all happen in defined order and are not something that that is part of enforcement or part of, of, of your standard configuration management. There's, there's a difference between the process of of making sure that your machine is in a known state and doing a task like rolling out your next deployment. Um, so I I really do like uh, Puppet Ansible in that combination. Um, I've played with SaltStack a little bit a couple of years ago. Um, that's definitely a reasonable tool. Um, I think we uh, leaned toward Ansible as it was. It seemed to be more mature at the time, had better documentation. I think there was some ordering semantics that that the folks I was working with at the time liked better. Um, so that's probably completely lies compared to what SaltStack can do now. I've used Chef in the past. Um, I think Chef really very easily leads 
folks off into imperative land. And I, I very firmly believe that configuration management should be a declarative language. Uh, once you start getting into writing custom code, you're going backwards. Um, back in the before time, I used to write my own uh, scripts and programs that did configuration management for a thousand or two uh, machines. And yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a reason we, we like Puppet. <laughs> what else have I used? I've used um, a Python program called bconfig, spelled B-C-F-G-2. Um, I enjoyed uh, its declarativeness. Um, I enjoyed its lack of a DSL um, in trying to find a quote-unquote standard way to express configuration management. Um it didn't scale well. Uh, we I ended up moving away from that toward Puppet, uh, which scaled a lot better in that situation. So I've I've very much been in the Puppet and Ansible uh, camp for a while now. All right, Brendan, say something new. So I started with configuration management in Solaris 9 land, which really was an awful place to be at the time. There was no... The current wave of configuration management hadn't really taken over yet, so people were still in the habit of configuring groups of machines by hand or using PSSH or Parallel SSH or other tools like CF that. CF Engine? Yeah, or just shared file systems. It's like, okay, we have an NFS mount where everything lives, and that's how we update things. And yeah, it worked, but it didn't work very well, and it wasn't good for making system changes. It was good for moving configuration files or other data, but it, it didn't handle... The ability to say, okay, I need to make sure that we have the same version of Apache everywhere. I need to make sure that when we push the NTP configuration files out, we kick the daemon everywhere because we have to make sure that it reloads. So we started looking at a bunch of different things and Puppet came up on the list, but on Solaris 9, because Solaris has nothing standard at all installed, it was an incredible amount of packages to get Puppet and I think it was, it was 25, 30 packages you had to install on every host. And we had started that rollout when I, I left that job, not for any, not for any work related reason. It was a personal thing. Um, and when I came to work with Mr. Neely at the next job, he had just decided on doing bconfig too. And I had experience with Puppet, but I said, I would hey. like to apologize now, please. Oh, it's fine. I mean, I, I learned a lot of new things and you had made a decision and, at the time, it sounded like all the right reasons. Human-readable XML, which does exist, is not as readable as other things are, but it's it does exist. The trouble with that was it took somebody who really understood systems to make it work. And a lot of the people who were using it to, to manage boxes and, and labs and fleets of servers didn't really understand ordering semantics and dependencies and other other things you really need you you had to have to be able to use bconfig. Yes, and I think Puppet, um, the the DSL for Puppet makes it much more approachable to to folks that that know systems and systems theory less well. Yeah, well, also Puppet has a very straightforward method of getting into it. It it doesn't take a lot of work to say I want to manage a configuration file or a user on a system with Puppet. Their docs are really good. I'm going to write, I'm going to have it run locally. I'm going to have it not run, run off a server. It's just going to come off of a Git repo, for example, or something. So you check things out, you run it, and you're done. 
and you can see what happened in the, the verbose flag works very well. Whereas with beacon fig, there was a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of magic you had to do to get the right version of the right things to come down correctly. And it was, it was not a good choice for a distributed team of administrators of varying levels of skill. Some people were great at it. And some people who are even really bright, just they're like, I don't have time to sit down and figure this thing out. Is there, is there a cheat sheet or a better way to do it? And we're like, there really isn't just go through and copy what we've already done. And so that kind of worked, but it was not a, it wasn't great. And I also agree that I think puppet is great. I have a couple of puppet has a couple of shortcomings for me, mostly in the speed of things like factor. If you have a lot of facts you're trying to manage, or if you're trying to manage, say, a directory of 35,000 files, and you want to say, I want to make sure the, the ownership on all the files is, is what I want it to be, it recurses through every one of those individually. It doesn't have any kind of batch operation flags. So there, there are several gotchas with Puppet that you have to design around. So you have, you have to build your systems with that in mind, because otherwise you're not going to make any progress. That said... It works. It's relatively easy. Um, Ruby code for all of its detractors is relatively easy to read. So it it lets other people come in pretty quickly and say, "Yeah, you're missing a comma here. Or you, you didn't you didn't close this brace, or you didn't do whatever." And there's no. It, it's not it as seems to be the less bad of of the solutions that I've looked at and played with and had to use. Yeah, there's definitely things about Puppet that drive me bananas up the wall uh somehow the puppet setup i'm working now which we use uh, lots of higher data with an integer in the yaml that make up the higher data um when that integer floats through and gets into the the puppet dsl the uh standard lib uh validate int function um doesn't validate the integer because the type that it gets passed in is some weird off-the-wall type that is not usually in a Puppet DSL. And there, there's there's some crazy bugs like that, that that really drive me up the wall with Puppet. Yeah, I haven't dealt with deploying Puppet anytime recently. You two have done a lot more of this than I have, but um, I'm also not terribly thrilled about the Fusion, Fusion Passenger setups in the past, and I'm glad that I haven't been the one to deploy Puppet recently because I don't know if that's changed. Has it? Has that gotten well, better? It, I was about to say Puppet Four or Puppet Server is now actually uh, the server side pieces are are now on Closure, um, and so it's actually not even uh, you're, you don't have to run uh, um, Passenger or Unicorn language. anymore. You're actually running a Jetty um, instance, or these in time. No, yeah, Jetty, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a, it's actually deployment is a lot simpler. Uh, but you are now running the JVM. It can't be slower, can it? <laughs> I, I actually, I don't think it is slower. Uh, however, if you want to believe it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if memory usage would actually be higher. Well, that's just Java. Well. The JVM does some interesting things with memory, as I've been discovering over the past little while with things written in Scala, but that's that's another bit. And I'm also a huge fan of Ansible. I don't I don't like parts of it, but like with everything else in IT, obviously. But it is a very handy and very declarative way to say I need to go do 
a whole bunch of tasks and some of them need to go sequentially and some of them can go on groups of five machines and some of them can go on all machines at once and others need to block and wait and others don't have to. And it's very easy to say, I'm going to take a complex process like rebooting an elk cluster and with two sets of YAML files, be able to say, here's how you stop it. Here's how you start it. And it works and it's testable and it's repeatable and relatively like, a competent sysadmin with no real experience with Elk would be able to go, okay, well, here, here's the way it works, and here's what it's doing. And if something breaks, they can look through the YAML files and go, oh, okay, so it, was, it stopped at this part of the process. And what was it doing? Okay, it ran this, this script or ran this command. Oh, okay, so let me go figure out where to go do that. So it's not a black box in that sense. And not having it be a black box makes me a lot more comfortable using it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoy a lot of Ansible. Um, Ansible can, you can get things way too complex for Ansible. Um, I've seen the beginnings of some of that and it, it doesn't have a lot of, of well-defined scope uh, issues when you start dealing with lots of different roles and dependencies. Um, so yeah, I think one if can you keep get into Ansible. a way too much of a puppet realm with, Ansible, where Ansible starts to show its weaknesses. The, I really, I think my biggest thing with Ansible is I like the Jinja templating. I think Jinja templating is, 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 is a really neat templating language and is easily understandable and works well. Um, but it tries really hard to prevent you from being clever. Or, or should I say, prevent you from shooting yourself in the foot. And and therefore prevent you from being clever as well. Um, so, as much as I, as much as I chant um, declarativeness and configuration management, sometimes I just need some logic to transmute some data into something else. And uh, Ansible is is designed such a way that there's really not a not a hook to be able to to put that logic in Ansible at all. There's ways to do it. They're just not straightforward yeah i I think keeping you if something's really small or more leaning towards the orchestration side of things i think ansible is a great choice when you start getting into more complex uh, things or you're you know like you're mentioning a lot of roles i think you should start looking more towards puppet and and personally i also think that containers are going to also kind of start blurring the lines a little bit because you a lot of times you're using puppet or other configuration management tools uh, especially um ansible to help deploy applications and I, I think that's something that containers can help solve and actually remove a lot of the the uh, nuances that you're using those tools for and more so for ensuring that the base system that would be hosting your containers is in configuration uh, or in line but then the app, actual application deployment process is actually handled by some other uh, application altogether, something like a, a marathon that sits on top of Mesos, for example, that, that launches your containers or uh, Kubernetes or Kubernetes or whatever you, however you pronounce that, um, K8s. Uh, uh, those things will handle the actual uh, deployment strategies and maintaining the, the, the system state. And then the, the containers themselves actually contain uh, the you know the Docker file is your your make file, for instance, for how to configure and set up the application. 
Uh, and then really you're left with configuring the base systems that run these uh, things. And that's where I think especially Puppet would be a great fit for. A guy I worked with a couple of years ago, like eight years ago now, Will Froning, is the one who gave me the phrase that I gave to Jack later about Puppet is kickstart over time. So if you think about kickstarting a system, you, you bring a system up and the kickstart stuff says, okay, Red let's make terminology, sure you, warning. Well, you know, let's make sure you have these versions of these packages and these config files laid down. And after you do that, let's run a couple of scripts to make sure that these other things happen in the right way and other things are, you know, we have these these specific repos defined in other pieces. And over time, after you, after you kickstart a box, things drift because people log in by hand and do they do magic to it and other things break and happen. They and, do things. So Puppet helps you keep things the way they were. And Ansible, on the other hand, helps you make things the way they need to be. It's the, I, I need to go out and I need to run Puppet everywhere or whatever it is. Um, like I need to install Puppet. Yeah, or I need to reboot all of these servers right now. Um, I had a, a kernel issue earlier in the week that is confounding, but it turned out that all, of all the hosts in this new group of servers, they were lots of them were crashing. They were they were locking up hard locks and there was nothing in the log files because they were they were dying fast enough that nothing nothing was emitted screens were blank nothing was helping and it was a very large group of hosts two hundred and fifty or so and I noticed that no host had crashed twice so after dealing with this for a week and losing valuable time both in terms of the operating cost of the hardware and in terms of our time. It's like, okay, we're just going to reboot all the hosts and see if that helps. And, you know, okay, five minutes later, all the hosts are rebooted because you know, I'm not locking into every box by hand, but with Ansible, oh, there, there's the inventory of hosts. I need to do a restart. I'm going to set to parallel 200. Great, let's go. And five minutes later, all the hosts had taken the, re the root command and most of them were back up. So it's a very handy tool for doing manipulations like that. And sort of on the same configuration management side of the talk and sort of also to go back towards uh, containers, I really like a tool called ConfD. Um, it's a, a Go program that will allow you to use uh, Go templates and a key value store of your choice. Uh, I think it, it originally only supported etcd and then it quickly supports a lot more now. The Zookeeper is especially one of them and uh, Console is another uh, and it allows you, it's, it's really specifically designed to run inside of a Docker container and you can either have it run one time or even run as a daemon and constantly monitor the key value pairs that it, it uses in the template so that if, uh, some of the changes it can immediately write out the, the new template and restart the service. Um, but I think that really tackles a, a hard problem that I've run into, which is configuration management of, of application configs inside of a Docker container. Because I, I really think Puppet uh, is really too heavy to run inside of a container and really kind of violates the whole one app oh, per container much. thing. Uh, and even even Ansible, I don't think, is necessarily the right fit there. So that's that's what I have um, used in the past for solving that issue. Who's the author of ConfD again? Is it a corporation? Is it a guy? I think it's a guy. Is it like Hightower? Okay. Kelsey, maybe Kelsey Hightower. Does yes, Kelsey. Okay. Kelsey Hightower. I, I don't know if. Um, um, oh, well, apparently he works or he or she works for Google. 
<laughs> nice. Let's make sure there's a link in the show notes for that. One of the other pieces of using Puppet to be careful of is not mixing code with um, configuration. It's very easy to do that initially, and a lot of people get into the anti-pattern of hard-coding variables and other pieces directly inside of their Puppet modules. But as painful as it is, it's worth spending the time to look up the set up Hyera and move all of your variables outside of the code. So if you need to build a second copy of something, if you know, well, I need Apache again, but with a different configuration, or I need to build another set of ClusterFS servers or whatever you're trying to get done, you have an easy way to say, so for this tier of machines, passing these variables, but for this tier of machines, they get a different set of conf, um, conf D demons, or they get a different set of Zookeeper hosts, or they get a different set of MySQL servers. And this way you're not trying to go in and monkey with variables inside of modules and keep modules bifurcated to say, okay, well, there's, there's the Apache new module and there's the Apache old module. And it's not really clear who gets which copy because new and old aren't terribly descriptive. But if you use something like Hiera, you can then very easily say, if there's no, def if there's no, no value set, use a default. If there's a, if otherwise, you know, you can override based on environment and server name and tier of machine than anything else you you really care about. So I strongly recommend Hiera. Any other pointers and tips for puppet guys? I, uh, I strongly recommend you using an ENC, which can almost kind of go hand in hand with Hiera as well. Cause you can pass along data through your, your ENC as well. That would supersede or come before Hiera. Um, and, and typically a lot of people would like to use a CMDB, to be their source of truth for that information and provide that ENC functionality. Um, I know one tool that's kind of out there, it, I guess it's not technically a CMDB, but it's, it's meant to be your source of truth for your entire infrastructure. It's called the Foreman. And uh, it's actually upstream for a couple of, uh, I think it's actually upstream for uh, the new satellite from Red Hat. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a really, uh, slick tool that offers a lot of functionality there. Um, but there's a couple of ENCs out there as well. Uh, there used to be one called the Puppet Dashboard, but I don't, that was maintained by Puppet Labs. I don't actually know if they maintain that anymore. Um, but I, I definitely would, would recommend for anyone to take a look at, at doing an ENC. And, and running your own is not that difficult either. I mean, it really is just YAML, um, like a lot of other things that Puppet consumes. And uh, yeah, so I, I definitely highly recommend an ENC. Yeah, because that's basically you, you say you call your ENC with one argument, which is the FQDN or is the FQDN? yes the the FQDN of the host, and it returns a blob of data and says, "Okay, here are the things you need to know. Here are your classes. Here are some extra variables." Exactly, it's 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 the preferred method over using the manifest. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the uh, site.pp to assign uh, modules and classes to a uh, to notes. And it's generally why folks uh, recommend as a best practice that you be able to express the uh, configuration of your puppet host with one a puppet class. So you can handily use ENCs easy. Um, I also want to mention uh, Tumblr's Collins uh, if we're mentioning uh, CMDBs. Um, Scala uh, runs on the JVM uh, appears though to to be really reasonable for an open source uh, CMDB, 
there are not a lot of options out there for that for that use case, and, and Collins works pretty well. And Collins ties into AWS provisioning and those pieces, right? So you can have your AMI IDs and other things tag in easily, so you can keep track of all that those pieces. Yes. Okay. I think. Pretty sure that's right. Um, one thing that I don't have a lot of experience with, but I've heard people talking about, I'm hoping you guys have some insight, is secrets management in configuration management. So if you ha- if you wanted to pass out passwords or other keys to things and you don't want to store them in plain text in your repo, what are your options these days? Well, Puppet's higher data uh, supports uh, eYAML, encrypted YAML, that will allow you to uh, encrypt things in your uh, higher data so your Git repo only has uh, an encrypted blobs uh, in higher data variables that get decrypted when the catalog is built. Um, that's one way to help obscure uh, secrets in your in your Puppet Git repository. It's not perfect. The, the decryption uh, keys have to be somewhere. Um, I know a lot of folks have started using um, a system where applications run under specific role users, and somewhere on the uh, file system there's a uh, bind-mounted directory that has uh, secrets in flat files uh, managed by Unix permissions, um, hence the uh, role users to run certain applications. Okay, that's reasonable. Oh, secret, secret suck. There- there's also, a, I haven't used it yet. It's something that I've been interested in. There's a Hyera backend for the uh, HashiCorp's vault so that okay. you can actually pull yes, out, um, you know, actually use the, the vault for uh, storage of passwords and everything and pull those through uh, through Hyera. That sounds very nice because Puppet by default encrypts all their connections. You have to get certain stuff set up so you're not passing those pieces on the clear on the wire anyway. They're probably going on disk that way. But it allows you to get things out of your, again, getting your your configuration out of your code, and specifically the sensitive configuration out of your code. There were a number of projects a couple of years ago that I'd I'd heard about, but I can't. The names don't come to mind easily now, and they didn't seem to get much traction because I don't hear people talking about them. But I was hoping for other input, and you guys delivered nicely. Thank you. I remembered reading. Uh, some stuff about a Gulang tool called Vault. I think that was the HashiCorp version. Yes. Yeah, it's, I think it's written in Golang. Some people don't like HashiCorp's approach to things, but I generally find their their tools to be rather their tools polished. tools suck. Yeah. Uh, I definitely I don't care for some of the Rubiness, but they seem to be uh, wandering more toward Go than Ruby of late, so... Yeah, Nomad is really entirely written in Go, as far as I, as far as I remember. Nomad's their or, their container orchestration layer, and I've actually gotten running on Raspberry Pis because it is just Go. So, yay, cross compi- cross compiling and all that without pain. I should have googled this beforehand. <laughs> so I have one last note, and I know that all three of us have run into this in the past about Puppet and. Things to avoid, a practical, pragmatic, you know, thing for this this podcast. That if you use a a strategy for managing your puppet environment 
and you say, I'm going to have a branch for dev and a branch for prod and a branch for other environments. You have an environment-specific branch and you tag hosts to, in, to branches that way. You can't migrate changes from dev to prod easily. Oh, that sounds like a beautiful solution. But well, especially very quickly, if you your branches will get so far away from each other commit-wise that, yeah, you can't you can't easily cherry pick and merge things across. Yeah. I was about to say, you, when you start off, especially if you have, you know, one repo for all your modules, you're going to quickly learn that you're going to need to, to break out at least groups of modules. You may not have to go necessarily to the full one module per repo thing, but you're going to, especially if you're using that branching model, you're going to quickly learn uh, when some things need to, you know, there, there's a change that needs to get merged into prod, but you have other changes that need to be held off, uh, then you, you're running into either cherry picking or, um, you know, forcing forcing the merge and then turning off Puppet on those machines and waiting until they can actually be ran. And unfortunately, that means you turn off Puppet and it doesn't get turned back on. Yep. And then you log into the box months later and you figure out Puppet's not running and then you wonder why Puppet isn't running. <laughs> And then the new guy runs Puppet, and suddenly all hell breaks loose, and people can't figure out what happened. So, yeah, it, it sounds very tempting to do, oh, we'll do, do a prod branch and a dev branch, and we'll live happily ever after. No, 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 no. Um, have a master branch and work on feature branches or bug fix branches of your own, like you would with normal code, and then configure your Puppet Master to let you run each branch as just a dash dash environment. So you can test your changes on a couple of different hosts, you know, with dash dash environment, whatever, and dash dash no op, so it doesn't actually make any changes. And this way you can verify that what you're doing actually works. Use your ENC to classify the hosts with the right profile and role. So you can say, yes, this this broker or this better example, this Kerberos server happens to be the KDC. So it's slightly different than all the others let's make sure that we give, we pass it different pieces and we don't just mangle everything together. Um, it'll make your life so much better if you just work off the idea that we have one branch, which is master and everybody has to merge into that. Yeah. That, and the newer versions puppet, of puppet server uh, methodology works really well. I know there are lots of environments where they would much rather have separate QA and dev and, and prod spaces. Um, but that that just doesn't work as well for a Puppet environment. Yeah, and, and the newer versions of Puppet um, Master slash Server support dynamic environments very well. They, they've pers- just basically made environments first-class citizens. And uh, with the advent of some libraries like R10K, which actually I don't have much experience with because I, I personally feel it's a little almost a little too heavy, but other people like that um, can help you manage that um, so that it's not as, as difficult or as manual to uh, set up. I've not heard of R10K before. What is it? It's basically, I, I don't want to say a, it's, it's like a, um, uh, it's a single file that allows you to describe all the dependencies for, or not dependencies, but different modules that make up your, your environment, your setup, and you can, you can tag or, or uh, set versions for each branch or each environment. The, uh, the only problem I've ran into 
is that uh, it's it doesn't really support dynamic environments too well because you have to basically define the environments in the um, in the file itself in the configuration file. There was a, a bug uh, bug report out there wanting to ha- allow them to use like a, a meta tag like for branch or whatever, so they can reference the Git branch that you're on, so they can. You know, you can easily just create some dynamic environments. So that's that's my rub against it. But if you have a more standard, you know, master dev branching, uh, and then you have a lot of different repo or a lot of different modules, and especially modules from the Forge or other places, um, this will help you set up those uh, dependencies real quickly and real easily, and to find them in a single uh, place instead of like you know SSHing onto the Puppet Master to install a Forge uh, module because there's no Forge provider. Okay. That's very interesting. I'll take a look at that in more detail and we'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. That reminded me of something else that for Ansible that has been very helpful in terms of dynamic environments. And that is that if you're using something like Collins or you have a reasonable CMDB that you can query at low cost, it's not hard to do things like dynamic queries for all the hosts that are marked as allocated that are in a specific tier that are production and then you can have your Ansible scripts call out to a library that basically hands back a list of hosts that match that description. So you're not maintaining an Ansible hosts file in your directory or on, you know, somewhere on, on disk. You just, you just call it the CMDB dynamically. So as things change and as the environment moves around, you're not trying to remember, oh, well, well, this database server was broken. So we took it out of the list for a little while because, you know, it's, it's getting a chassis swap or whatever. But other things still, still have to happen in, in the meantime. And if you use... If you have a low, a low query cost CMDB, you can make that portion of Ansible dynamic, which frees you from one of the big problems of Ansible, which is this static this, this list of static hosts that a lot of people use. And Ansible comes with a really nice uh, dynamic inventory script for dealing with uh, EC2 um, uh, VMs and stuff from AWS. So that works out of the box pretty easily and pretty robustly. And they also support... Other providers too, like DigitalOcean, Linode. Excellent. I I haven't done as much work with AWS as I would I would like, and I'm not done DigitalOcean and Linode specifically. Um, my big hosting provider experience is with SoftLayer so far, and it's interesting. <laughs> AWS is the only one that matters. So, guys, what do you see as the, the sort of the future of configuration management? I really feel like we're, uh, especially with containers, very much on a tipping point for um, really changing the ecosystem to tools that are more suited for what we're actually going to be doing. Um, I think Puppet and Chef are, are well-known, well-used, well-understood, um, have a lot of, of community support behind uh, tools, but they're getting a little long in the tooth for for what we'd like to do in the future. What do you guys think? My leaning on this is that tools like Ansible are the future because tools like Docker are the future. Puppet's great for ma- managing the box that has a bunch of different demons running on it and you have a database server with ancillary stuff running and all kinds of other pieces. But Docker excels at we're running one task and if you're running one task, you don't need Puppet. You don't need a configuration management system. You need something to manage the the build of the Docker images, which is Jenkins or whatever you use. 
and then something to orchestrate the deployment of those containers once they get built. And either Ansible or Nomad or there's, what, half a dozen now orchestration platforms for containers. But I see Puppet's role shrinking over the next five years. Well, Puppet and all of, all the tools like Puppet, where you're managing a whole host. And I think things like CoreOS, where you boot a node that's 500 megabytes, and it has just what it needs to make containers work. And if it dies, eh, it dies. You, know, you bring up another one, because that's, that's the design of the container world. Well, and now we have things like service discovery that's that's you know the the that's baked in to the to the OSs something like, like core OS where um where you normally would need tools like Puppet or whatever to kind and uh set things straight or set things up. Now you can kind of have these these self aware hosts that just you know turn on or boot up and then connect to a service discovery agent or service and, and say, well, this is what, who I am. This is what I need to do. And then it does it itself. So I, I'm, I'm like you, I, I do feel that uh, with the rise of containerization that, that tools like puppet and, and chef especially are going to fall to the wayside to more uh, leaner um, tooling. Although what that will look like, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I would honestly not be surprised if the Puppet Labs folks decided to make either a variant of Puppet or have Puppet 5 or 6 or whatever is coming be more container-focused in terms of being a a container orchestration platform and being able to connect things in a language that people already understand to make it easy for people who use a lot of Puppet to also do containers. But I don't think it's the right tool for it. I really like the uh, line in the sand uh, between containers and management of the the host platform, that's appealed to me for a long time now. Um, there's there's a blog post that I'll put in the show notes that I've been really interested in that talks about next generation configuration management. Uh, there's some uh, a toy uh, experiment as far as code goes, um, attempting to devo- to develop a. Uh, configuration management tool that uses parallel execution um, so you know it's faster uh, event driven so you use inotify to subscribe to changes happening on disk and if the file changes well you just change it back no run every 30 minutes and you ha- and have a 30 minute window of of unknown configuration um, and other ideas like a distributed topology that doesn't depend on centralized servers. Um, ideas that have that are that are fascinating to me, and I hope catch on. But I don't see them in the the near future. That's for sure. Well, also, those are all distinctly hard problems in terms of computer science. Distributed systems, concurrent. Distributed systems are hard problems, and one thing, one of my feedback, if I could, of of this particular bit of code, which is called, what do they call this, manager? I love it when they name things that aren't Googleable. Um, but I really wish they would leave out the distributed topology parts and focus on some of the other uh, parts first. Because um, Paxos and Raft algorithms, yeah, they're open source implementations, but they're not easy to get right. And there have been lots of cases where, where they don't. Um, but I think that's neither here nor there. Um, 
but I still think they're. I still think we can do better than Puppet. I still think that the line in the sand between uh, containers and platform will or could um, cause a tool to evolve that's better than Puppet that does better managing for the host platform. I agree. And in the meantime, I think Puppet is one of the better tools out there. But Definitely. We'll see how this plays out over the next you know, five, six years. Well, I think that about wraps it up for episode 10 of the Practical Operations Podcast. We're your hosts, Brendan Diesendorf, Jack Neely, and I'm Jared Watkins. Thank you, and good night.